G'day and welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. I'm Guy, Senior Pastor of City on a Hill, a movement of churches across Australia united around the central mission of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Whether you're on your morning commute or sitting down with a warm cup of coffee, I hope this message fuels your faith, hope and love. And while we're here, let me encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. You can do that by heading to cityonahill.com.au. God bless. Look forward to connecting soon. We are in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning, everyone. Great to uh, see you. Happy New Year. Hope it was a good break if you had one or if you have uh, some time coming up off, but great to see you here this morning. And we open up um, this this series in parables. I love parables. Um, I know many people do because they're vivid stories, but they have a meaning that runs underneath them, which is a meaning that Jesus wanted us to grasp through that story. And so I'm going to pray for us as we, we look at this parable together. This, it's a heavy parable. It's, um, it's, a, it's a difficult parable, not to understand, but to, to grasp um, and to apply. So let's pray that God would help us this morning. Father, as we, we come to your word and we come to this parable, may you now speak and may we listen. May you cut through the noise of all the busyness of life and, and all of the good things that we enjoy, as well as the difficult things. But may we come and hear you speak by the power of your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who remembers the 80s? (laughs) Some of us remember the 80s. Um, My kids have got into, some of my teenagers have got into a bit of 80s retro music. So I thought I would start this morning with a retro visit to the 80s and a kind of a parable which was, I think, marked much of my childhood. So turn your eyes back to 1987, just for a moment. Got a call from Derek's brother Said watch out, here comes mother Cos anything that's dirty Makes her very, very shirty The windows look quite sickly And I had to clean them quickly You spray and wipe the windows We'll get them really clean Spray and wipe dry so fast You're left with streakless glass It leaves them very clean They almost can't be seen So thank you Spray and wipe Who remembers that? Who actually remembers that? That was kind of the iconic ad in many ways, wasn't it? And um, the, the, this, the, this, the idea of this ad is so simple. 
There is a warning that is given about an impending event that requires present preparation, and thanks to Trusty Spray and Wipe, the preparation is done, and that lady succeeds in thwarting the, uh, her mother-in-law with that wonderful bang into the door. Well, this morning, Jesus' parable has something that is somewhat similar. Uh, the context of this parable is uh, the previous chapter of Matthew, Matthew 24. Jesus is talking to his disciples about the events that are coming up. Uh, he's talking about the fact that he is going to be betrayed and crucified and killed. Then he's talking about the fact that he's going to rise again. But key in Matthew 24 is that that's not the end of the story. Jesus says that he will return. He returned to judge the earth and he tells a series of stories to help people understand, help his disciples understand what that would be like. So, uh, for example, Matthew 24, 36, Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour. No one. And then in Matthew 24, 38, he tells them what it will be like when it will happen. And Matthew 24, verse 38 says this, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus gives them some understanding. This is what it's going to be like. Things will be going on normally. And then the Son of Man will come. It'll be a normal day like any other day. And then in Matthew 24, verse 42, Jesus says, Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And he warns them, he says, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. For the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So that's the context of this parable. Uh, the very next, next verse, Matthew 25, verse 1, Jesus says, at that time, so the time of his return, not the kingdom down through the ages, the time of his return, it's going to be like this. He says it's going to be like 10 virgins. You know, I don't know, you can imagine the disciples, like if you've listened to the words that Jesus spoke, he said it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah, it's going to be serious, there's going to be there's suddenly going to become a judgment that comes when people are not expecting it. If you're one of the disciples, you say, what's it going to be like? Well, Jesus tells them, and he says in this story, three things that his disciples then and us now need to comprehend. Three things. Firstly, there's going to be a future fact. It's going to lead to a decisive division. And because of those two things, there needs to be present preparation. Future fact, decisive decision, future or present preparation. So let's look first at the future fact. What the coming of Jesus will be like? What will it be like? Jesus says, verse 1, it'll be like 10 virgins who went out to meet the bridegroom. Um, the context of this is a wedding. We've had a bunch of weddings in our church over the last couple of months, it seems, and weddings are joyful occasions, but, and there's a lot of weird customs that go with weddings, isn't there, in our context. I, you know what I think is one of the weirdest customs? The bouquet throwing. You know that where you get these you know, lovely bridesmaids turn into like footy elbows and trying to get this 
bouquet because they're going to be the next one married if they get the, you know, I don't know if that still happens. A lot of weddings still have that. It's kind of weird. And the, 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 the context in which Jesus is telling this story, there's some unusual marriage customs, at least to us. So apparently in that time, um, well, not apparently, weddings went on for several weeks, a bit like Indian weddings do today. Uh, it was a big deal. And part of the joke apparently was that uh, the bridegroom and his groomsmen would try to catch the bride and her attendants unprepared. Because it, it, was, it was a week, couple week long wedding. You didn't know what time the bridegroom was going to arrive. And apparently it was a bit of a joke. If you could catch the bride unprepared, then you won. Now, imagine, I, don't know, I don't think brides would like that, or bridesmaids. But that's the context of this parable. And that's who these virgins are. They're bridesmaids. So I'll use that term bridesmaids throughout because that's what they are in the context of this parable. And we're told straight up that there's 10 bridesmaids, but they're not all the same. Uh, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He says, verse 2, five were foolish, five were wise. Uh, both groups, all 10, realize that the bridegroom might be delayed, so they've taken oil for their lamps. It might be a long wait, as verse 4 tells us. So the difference between the wise and the foolish is the wise take some extra oil because they're, they're getting ready for a long wait. The foolish don't. And then all five of them, it is a long wait. It's late at night and they all get sleepy, you know, yawn or two, and then all drift off, probably reluctantly, into sleep. Now, you might say, who's the bridegroom in this story? There's no mystery here. Uh, it's very clear. Jesus tells this story, and he is the bridegroom. He's the one who is coming back, and he compares his return to that, that wedding scenario. He's going away for a long time, but he will return. That's the future fact. The future fact that Jesus teaches is that the, the Christian religion is not simply about the here and now, although there is much guidance and teaching on that. There is the Christian religion insists, Jesus insists, a future fact. Jesus will return. I, I think it's impossible to read the New Testament without seeing this. 300 times, the New Testament refers to the future fact of Jesus' return. 300 times. If you like it another way, every one verse out of every 13 deals with Jesus' second coming. This is a big deal. But I wonder if we give it the same focus or emphasis in our lives. Most of us here are Christians. We're followers of Jesus. We're disciples. We're asking, what's it going to be like when you come back? Do we give it the same emphasis? And I think the answer is often no, and I reckon there's at least two reasons for this. Firstly, we'd say it's a future fact that Jesus is coming back. We believe that because we understand the, the Bible teaches it and Jesus taught it, but it kind of makes us a bit uncomfortable. You ever feel that? You think like, well, I'm glad Jesus is coming back, but I hope it doesn't happen in my time because I've got so much good stuff to do. Uh, maybe I'm a young person and like, I'd love to go to Disneyland. Uh, maybe I'm someone who's at university. I'd love to put all that uni stuff I've done into practice. Maybe you think, I'm, I'm a single person. I'd love to get married. I'd like to be part of this scene. Maybe you're married. You think, I'd love to have children. Maybe you, you think, I'd, I'm a grandparent. I'd love to have more grandchildren. I can't wait for retirement. There's tons and tons of different things where we can go like, I'm glad that Jesus is going to come back eventually, but not now. Because there's so much good stuff for me to do. Right now, you and I are parted from Jesus, if you're a Christian. 
Yes, we have many wonderful benefits of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We, as Christians, are some of the most blessed people on earth. We are the most blessed people on earth. We have the good gifts of this life to enjoy and to savor and to be thankful for. But this is not our home. This is never as good as it gets. Even in the very best times of life when everything is going well and we're enjoying things and we enjoy physical health and relationship health and all of these things, financial health, this is never as good as it gets. The full pleasures and glories lie when Jesus returns. Not now. Don't get sucked into living as if this is what it is. Your superannuation balance or your whatever it might be, your dream renovation or your golf handicap or whatever it might be. This is not as good as it gets. Um, the return of Jesus will be not like the un- will be very different from the unexpected visit of your mother-in-law, as good as she might be. The return of Jesus will be much more like Christmas. You know, when you're a kid, some of you are kids here and you just wait for Christmas and you count it down and you ask like, you, you are like, you know, as soon as we hit January, it's like, how long is it to Christmas, Dad? It can be much more like that. The return of Jesus will not be like, oh, bummer, I missed out on so much stuff in my life. It'll, the return of Jesus will be the consummation, the satisfaction, the joy. Everything else in this world tarnishes. It fades. You can't hold on to it even when you've got it. The return of Jesus is the, it's where everything's leading. And for the Christian, it's something that is complete and utter wonder. So sometimes we we, we are not excited about the return of Jesus because we we get out of whack. But secondly, and let's be honest here, isn't it true that sometimes, if you're a Christian this morning, most of us are, you wonder, really? I I know that I've got to believe this because it's in the Bible and Jesus taught it and Christians have always believed it. But but really, it's been 2,000 years. And if you like history like me, you can go like, you know, William the Conqueror conquered England in 1066. That was a thousand years ago. And uh, you might, I had a friend say to the, this once to me and said like, so you're saying that a guy that lived a thousand years after the William the Conqueror died is going to come back and judge and rule this world? Are you serious? Sounds like a fairy tale to me. Uh, you know, Jesus is a great moral teacher and there's things that you can get about how to live your life but he's going to return and judge the earth? It's been a long time. Do you really think it's happening? Do you ever, you know, I'll be honest with you, sometimes that, that goes into my head too. Is, you know, is this really going to happen 2,000 years? Are, are we really going to see that future fact happen? Well, the answer is yes. And it's interesting to me that Jesus, in many of his parables and in, in much of his teaching, He consistently hints that there's going to be a long delay. He consistently hints to his followers, and he he never gives specifics about days and and times. That's clear. He said that. But for example, verse 5 of of this parable today, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. His parable, uh, talking about what it's going to be like, he says, there was a long delay. And many of the other parables are similar. So we shouldn't be surprised at the long delay. It's a little bit like... um, extra time in sport. I know this is a sporting analogy, uh, apologies for those of you not into sport, but um, 
a number of my kids are. Last year, my oldest son, Ethan, played in the, uh, the Reserves Grand Final, and um, it was, it was I, I could spend the rest of the time telling you about how exciting that game was. I won't. But anyway, they were up and down, and then, and then uh, we hit extra time, and the other team kicked a goal, and they were already starting to sing the theme song. They thought it was over. And we were watching, and we knew, we, di- we didn't know how long the game had. We knew it was extra time. We knew that the siren was going to go any moment. The players knew it as well. But we didn't know when it was going to sound. But we knew it was going to sound very soon. And they, uh, uh, the good guys kicked a goal at the end and we won. It was, it was a great moment. But there's some similarities to this. Uh, when Jesus was, was resurrected and ascended up to heaven, we're in extra time. This is extra time now. It's ticking. None of us know when that, the siren will sound. But we do know that it will be sudden and unexpected and soon. So a future fact, Jesus is coming again. It's a central pillar of Christianity. It's a fact. It's a future fact. But secondly, Jesus speaks of a decisive division. So all 10 bridesmaids are peacefully enjoying their beauty sleep. Then the cry rings out, he's here. He's here, come and meet him. The bridegroom's arrived and all the girls are jolted awake and they trim their lamps, but the foolish ones find that their lamps begin to go out almost immediately. No problem. Borrow a little bit of oil from the other girls. But the other girls say, no, there's not enough. You go and get your own, duck down to the convenience store and come back and and you'll, you'll, you'll be there in time. But verse 10, while they were on the way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. And we think, oh well, we're not in despair. They're a little bit late. They'll miss a bit of the fun, maybe a few of the wedding speeches, maybe the arrival of the bride and the groom, but no big deal, really. Um, They're not gonna be shut out just because they're a little bit late. So uh, they get the oil, the foolish uh, bridesmaids, and then they knock on the door, and surely they're expecting entrance. Hey, here we are. And then comes verse 12. I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Jesus, the bridegroom, said, let me say that again. I tell you the truth, I don't know you. And the door stays shut. Uh, There are 10 virgins, all of them are invited, all of them are confident that they'll be admitted, but in the end, five are admitted and five are refused. There's a decisive division. Uh, This is the consistent teaching of the New Testament. This is the consistent teaching of Jesus. This is the consistent belief of Christians through the last two millennia. So, So we want it to end that like, Everybody gets there in the end. We want this story to end as if like, only some people go a harder route, but everybody gets to the party at the end of the ages in the end. No one is excluded. That's not what Jesus taught. He teaches there will be a device, a decisive d- division. Um, one analogy I think is appropriate is, is one that came from my childhood. I grew up on a sheep farm near Ballarat and many hours in the, uh, the sheepyards uh, herding sheep. But uh, coming towards market time, 
you, you were, the ewes and lambs needed to be separated because the lambs were going to market and the ewes would remain. And the way that you do that, I think I'm sure you still do that on sheep farms, but the way we did it was all the sheep would be put into one common pen and then you use what was called a drafting race. I mean, many of you will have seen it. It's a, it's a, it's a narrow channel and it leads to a gate that swings. And so my dad would stand on the, on the drafting race Morning, Dad, if you were here this morning, you remember that watching? Um, and he, w- he would, as the sheep and lambs would, would approach, he would bang, clang, and the lambs that side, clang, and the ewes would go that side. And, and sometimes he'd make a mistake. And we, we were gunning for him not to make mistakes because I was the one that had to go and try and rectify the mistakes if the ewe ended up with the lambs or the lambs ended up with the ewes. But that was how it went, clang, 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 clang. Decisive division. And Jesus' teaching, it's gonna be a little bit like that at the end of the time, except no mistakes, uh, no one goes like, I'm in the wrong pen. You made a mistake. Uh, no one goes, actually, I want to redress this process. I want to submit a redress of grievance because I think I should have been in the other pen. There's no mistake. There's no discussion. There's a divisive, decisive separation. Now, one group will go to the party of the ages. And that's the, the consistent teaching of the New Testament is that the party of the ages is going to be just that, the party of the ages. Now, sometimes we, we think of heaven as boring, and we think, you know, um, the devil's got all the best music, and he's got all the best fun, and, and Christians are going to be in this boring place uh, called heaven with harps and white robes and sterile and uninviting and, and just so terribly boring. But the teaching of, of Jesus is, it's not going to be like that. He uses the word paradise. The fulfill- and and you know, we ask, like, do you really think the God that created us doesn't know how to make the place that he calls paradise actually paradise? Do you, that's a very low view of God if you think that God can create the splendors and wonders of this earth, but when it comes to heaven, well, he just failed on that one. He just made it so boring. I don't even want to be there. Get real. God, if he's real, knows how to create a paradise, a world where there will be the deepest fulfillments of your heart and soul and mind and spirit. And best of all, you will be in the presence of the creator that you were designed to enjoy and have never really enjoyed like you will in that moment. Heaven is amazing. And according to this, according to this parable, we're well, saying, I don't think we can take too much in, in the five, 50% here, 50% there, but we can bank on it that there's going to be millions and maybe billions of people invited into that incredible party and welcomed in. But we can't escape in Jesus' teaching that this, divide, this decisive division means that there will be many people who are shut out. That's this parable, isn't it? Um, the door was shut and, and the, they think a terrible mistake's been made the foolish bridesmaids, and they knock on the door and they expect admittance. They can hear the laughter and the song and maybe they can even see through the windows the light streaming out and they're in the darkness and they knock expecting entry and the shocking reality of the parable is that the door's shut. And this is the reality of the Bible's teaching that there will be many people on that day for whom the door is shut. The door to eternity is shut. Well, not the door to eternity, we're all eternal creatures, but the door to eternity with Christ in the banquet of the ages is closed. Now, this is shocking, and it's one of the reasons, I think, that there's so many points of false hope in this passage. Because they seem arbitrary, doesn't it? It seems arbitrary, but there's, there's points of false hope. Surely any decent friend would lend a little bit of oil to a friend, wouldn't they? 
What's, what sort of bridesmaids go like, oh, it's all about us? Or, you know, what, what kind of bridegroom is going to slam the door in the face of his invited guests? And, and you might think, oh, that's a cultural thing of New Testament times. No, it's not. This was, this was every bit as shocking uh, to the audience of Jesus as it would be for us, for a bridegroom to, to lock people out of his wedding reception because they're five minutes late. It's meant to be shocking. Jesus meant it to be shocking. And his point that we, we cannot miss from this morning's parable is there will come a time when it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. And you can have the best excuses in the world and the most reasonable arguments and it's going to be too late. Do you understand? Jesus wants to shock you. This is not a nice little story for kids. Sorry, kids. This is a story that is meant to shock adults. It's meant to shake you. You know, wake up. You think you're invited? You think you're going to get admitted? Well, so did those false virgins, those foolish virgins. This is serious. There's, Jesus' point is, the big point is, there's going to become a, a, a day when it, the decisive division means it's too late. Extra time is finished. The siren sounds. And it's over. There's a, a future fact and there's a, going to be a de- decisive division. And now thirdly and finally, present preparation. Because that's the point, isn't it? Isn't that why Jesus taught this parable? I think so. Because the future fact and the decisive division still lie in the future for us right now. It hasn't happened. It's in the future. So therefore, the point at which Jesus is teaching these truths are be ready. Now's the time to be prepared. Uh, Keep watch. That's what Jesus says in verse 13. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. You don't know when this is going to happen, so keep watch. Be ready. Um, Jesus continues in the next two parables to teach his disciples some of those um, elements of what being ready looks like. The parable of the talents and then the parable of the sheep and goats. You can read them in, in Matthew 25. But a few brief points on what it means for our present preparation. Number one, Watch. What does that mean? Um, well, I, I don't think it means that we spend every moment of our lives craning our necks, looking up for the sky, um, seeing formations in the clouds and thinking, I wonder if that's it. Um, I, I, I once knew a guy in the 1980s who was passionately convinced that the return of Jesus would come before winter, so he didn't chop any wood uh, over summer and autumn, and he was very cold in that winter because he got it wrong. So I don't think it means that we do nothing. And that we constantly wait at watching upwards in the sky. I, I think the teaching of the New Testament is that Jesus wants his people to live fruitful and productive lives, enjoying the good gifts of life that he gives to us. But do that in the light of Jesus' return. Be watching and waiting even as you do these things. And I, I think a good example here is my mother. If you're there, mum, hello to you as well. Uh, <laughs> my, maybe you've got someone in your life who's like this, but... Um, for many years, most of my mother's, well, my brothers and sister were living away from home. Uh, we were interstate or overseas, and there would come a time, maybe Christmas, when we would all be coming back. And my mother would be standing at the window watching, 
She would, like she'd be, she'd be looking down, waiting to see the car pull into the drive, the first of the cars, her focus and her attention is on that. She's longing for that to happen, but she's not just standing there looking through the window. Uh, no mother is ever able to do that, are they? Like, and no, she's, she's, she's talking on the phone to someone else, she's checking the temperature on the oven, she's laying the placemats, and then she's watching, watching. Always watching, but always working. Watching and waiting for, the, for the, uh, being prepared, for the arrival of her loved ones, but in action, fruitful work, productive living. So too with us, there are things to do now. There are things that Jesus has for you to do now, and that does not mean sitting on your bum doing nothing until Jesus comes again. It means that we explore his, his purpose for our lives. I had a wonderful meeting with someone this week saying, I'm, I'm in, heading towards retirement, but I've got time left. What am I going to do with that time? How can I use it fruitfully? That's the attitude. There's things for you to do. There's lives to be lived. There's relationships to be had. There's good things to enjoy, but do it in the sight and in the light of the fact that Jesus' return is coming. And we must be watching and waiting because we just don't know when it's going to happen. That's Jesus' point again and again. It's like the thief that breaks in. If you knew when the thief was going to break into your house, you'd be there waiting with the police, wouldn't you? But you don't. Because the thief comes when you least expect it. And Jesus says, so it will be with that final fact and that decisive division. It will happen when you don't expect it. And he uses the example of the time of the flood of Noah. And he says, people are going to be getting married. They're going to be buying property. Things are going exactly as normal on the very day that the flood came. So they wake up in the morning, there's a to-do list, the sun's shining, there's things to be done, and then, bang, it comes. Jesus says, that's what it's going to be like. And you don't know when that will happen. No one does. And sometimes we think, well, you know, there's time to worry about this later. I'll worry about it when I'm 40 or 50, and doesn't that come around quick? Or I'll worry about it when I'm retired, or when I've done these things, I'll worry about these things. But Jesus' point is, you don't know. Not only you don't, do you and I not know when Jesus will return, you don't know when you'll die. I've been around long enough to know that in this room here and online, almost certainly in the next 12 months, someone here will not be here. And it's probably very unlikely that that person knows that that will be the case. We don't know. Jesus told this parable to say, be ready because you don't know. So that question, of course, to end on is, are you ready? Are you ready? This applies equally to someone that's 10 years old, to someone that's 90. Are you ready? If this was to be the day, are you ready? Would you be one of the foolish bridesmaids or one of the wise? Are you ready? Uh, That's a question I think that we each should ask ourselves a lot more often than we do. It's easy to presume that we're ready because we believe certain things or presume that we're ready because we come from a Christian family or presume that we're ready because we made um, a commitment a long time ago to presume that we're ready, that we're invited and that all is well within our hearts when the scripture says search yourselves earnestly to see if you're in the faith. So I plead with you this morning 
As you consider this parable, don't just walk away and go, this is, a, this is an interesting story. Ask yourself, are you ready? I've been asking myself all this week, am I ready? If today is the day, am I, am I ready? Because my conviction is there'll be some people preaching the word who are not. Are you ready? Am I ready? I mean, I don't know if you think about the implications of that. Imagine you on that day, that future fact when Jesus returns and you see the glory of the wedding party and you see it going into the party of the ages and then you see the door shut. And you stand in an eternal darkness away from the glory of God. That matters, right? You'd be a fool not to ask yourself, are you ready? Not just once as the year begins, not as a New Year's resolution, but you'd be a fool not to consistently ask yourself, in the light of Jesus' teaching, am I ready? Because I don't want to be in the darkness, do you? I want to be with him in the light for all of eternity. And the point of Jesus' parable, once again, is that he is warning us now so that we are not left out then. The parable is designed to cut through all of our busyness and our comforting thoughts about reality to cut through and point us to that and lead us to ask that question, am I ready? Am I awake and am I watching? Whatever your resolution is this year, make it that. You'll be ready. That this will not be, the return of Jesus will not be an adjunct to all the other busyness of your lives, but this will be at its core. That as you do the necessary busyness of your life and mind, that over it all will be like my mother watching for, watching, watching, longing, waiting. And you know, this is not just individual, this is us as a church. You know, I think in any community of Christians such as we are, there's an easy tendency to view ourselves as just another social affinity group. We're a bit like the bowling club or the tennis club. We've got lovely people and we hang together and we do different things and we provide different options and, and there's, you know, it's a nice place to make friends and it's a good place to, to maybe find a marriage partner. It, it, and, and all of those things are not untrue. But Jesus' parable tells us we're a lot more than a bowling club. We're a lot more than a political party. We're a lot more than an affinity group of any kind. If this is true, and it is, then each and every one of us as part of that common community of the church, we are ambassadors to a world who does not know and is not ready. And the most unloving thing that we as a church could do is to view our comfort and our status as what is important and our you know, routines and, and forget that we are designed by Jesus. This parable and the teaching of the New Testament explicitly is that we are to go into all the world and we are to be ambassadors and we are a heck of a lot more than a bowling club. We are a group of people with a mission and if we fail to grasp that and we fail to hold that, then we become sadly a pale shadow of who we're called to be and we are the most unloving community on earth if we have the truth of this and we don't take it seriously. And we lose, and look, I know what it's like. We, we, we speak to other people and they're not interested. And we don't want to force anything down people's throats. And that's true, and I get that, and that's right. But it does mean that as a community of people, we sacrifice and we give and we share and we step out in faith because this matters. Because I don't know about you, but I would hate to be going into the wedding party and look to the side and see someone that I live with and work with and hit, you never told me. 
How could you not have told me when you knew that this was a future fact and you knew about this decisive division and you were prepared and you never bothered to tell me? It should stir us up as 2024 begins, shouldn't it? What's the purpose of a church? Are we just, are we just gathering together to have a good... T- Much more than that. And of course, finally, there is the reality that some of us here may go, yeah, I know I'm not ready. I know it. The moment you said it, I knew it. And if that is, is you, there's, there's, there's one danger here, and that's that the evil one will tell you this every time <laughs> that you hear this. And I know some of you here are like that. It's not a bad thing in many ways. Your heart's soft. And every time you hear something like this, you go, I'm not ready because blah, 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 blah. There is the danger that the evil one will twist these words of Jesus to take the assurance of salvation from the hearts of those who are here this morning who, are, who had no need to worry about this because they are ready. They're longing for Jesus. So if that's you this morning, be aware of the devil's twist. But also the truth is, it's true for some of us, we are really convinced that we are ready and we're not. And that might be you this morning because you've never committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never heard the, you've maybe heard the warning that comes to you, but you've never acted on it. And I'd urge you this morning that as 2024 begins, take the time, take the opportunities. As a church, we want to provide a consistent set of opportunities for you to investigate this for yourself. Not to believe on my word or the person sitting next to you's word, but to investigate the words of Jesus yourself and ask the question, what if those millions of people through the ages who have put their trust and faith in the words of Jesus were right? What if this is a future fact and a decisive division? What if I do need to prepare? And one of the things we're doing in the next weeks is another Introducing Jesus course, a short course, a chance for you to ask questions in a safe environment and hopefully to wrestle with these things. But maybe you're a Christian this morning and you go like, I need to get ready. How do I do that? You do that by responding as your heart is softened. If the spirit is stirring you, don't, don't just walk away and go, it doesn't matter. Say like 2024, this is the year I want to get serious. What does that look like? It looks like fundamentally just turning your heart, opening it to Jesus and saying, show me how I can be ready. Because I don't want to be in the dark. And if that's you this morning, that is a wonderful outcome. It's a wonderful result. If you came this morning and you, you were convinced that you were comfortable and safe and you leave this morning going, oh, I think I need to take this much more seriously, that is a win. Lean into it. Lean into Jesus. All right, well, our hero in the, in the story of the spray and white commercial was warned. She responded to the warning and she was ready. We've been warned. You can never, if you, if you are in the darkness at the end, you can never say you weren't warned. No one here, no one listening. We've all got the phone call from Jesus saying, I'm coming. Be ready. And that is the most loving thing the Lord Jesus could do because he's saying, now's the time for you to prepare. Now's the time for you to prepare for my coming because it's a future fact. So I'm gonna pray for us. Musicians are gonna come up. And as we start 2024, and we look at this parable, this story of Jesus, let it, let it echo in our minds and our hearts as we go out this week. Be ready. Be watchful.
be prepared. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the gift of Jesus, for the incredible good news that this is, but Lord, we also pray that you would, you would cut through all of the, the ways in which we seek to, to pad this truth out with things and with, uh, with relationships and with, with good things often. Lord, would you please cut through that and remind us of that fundamental truth that you are coming again, Lord Jesus, that you will take your people to be with you forever and that it will be the party of the ages. And Lord Jesus, would you help each one of us to be ready? If we've got tired, give us energy. If, we, if our zeal and our faith has flagged, renew us. Help us to be ready. If we don't yet know you, if we're not ready, then Lord, help us to heed this warning. Help us to put this into practice. And Lord, we need your help for this. We need it uh, for individuals and for us as a church. And so as 2024 begins, we ask, oh God Almighty, that you would stir us up, that you would stir us up and that you would point us towards eternity and you would help us to take the teaching of your son, the Lord Jesus, seriously. And we ask it that you would do this in your mighty power and in the name of Jesus. Amen.